I'm John Cronshaw. I'm Shane Thomas, and today we are talking about lucid dreaming and remote viewing in fiction, and our guest is Mary Waldering. Okay, let me start with lucid dreaming, because that was actually something I stumbled onto as uh, probably a fairly young child by accident. That was around the time I began actually writing. I mean, I wrote from the time I was five, but I was kind of like paraphrasing other people's stuff. And uh, my first original stuff started coming at around 13. And I found that I could dream. And uh, when I woke up, I would remember the dream very clearly. I would write it down. And a few times I would say the following night, I'm going to go to sleep now. And let's see if I can take up where I left off because the dream wouldn't be like a complete story. And so I found out I could do that. And it would just kind of like be going like the next chapter. And I did that a few times. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, later on, I started realizing that it was actually diversifying. And the things that I was looking at were not in the present day and time. And, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was very conservatively raised. So I really didn't tell anybody about that. I just wrote about it. So when I got off to college and got, I guess, uh, out from under the wing, I started hanging out with a bunch of occultists. That was kind of the thing to do in the late 60s and early 70s. Yes, I am telling my age. I will be 71 in August. So uh, um, what I was doing, uh, I started looking at into the occult aspects of it, and I found out that the lucid dreaming was the ability to control dreams. So I said, okay, it's got a name now. I guess that's what it is. Now, remote viewing is kind of similar. In I've never really studied it officially. I've just kind of done what I do and written down what happens. I came into the remote viewing in a different way. Some college friends and I we're looking into the possibility of past life regressions. And so we looked at the Silva mind control method. Somebody was trying to teach us how to do that, which was you would put yourself into sort of a calm level like meditation and count yourself down from say 10 to one. And by that time you'd be really relaxed and You could then see things. Now, we didn't have any control over what we were going to look at. So what we started doing, since we thought it was past life regression at the time, was we started going back further in our own lives. And then we said, let's take a leap and go back to World War II because nobody was alive back then. One of us would write down what the other one said, and we would start seeing things. And one of the things that we would always look at was shoes. I think Rick actually asked me at some point, uh, did you ever look at yourself in a mirror? And I was going, no, not really. I just, we looked at shoes because (laughs) footwear is important. You know, was I barefoot? What kind of feet did I have? What kind of shoes did I have? Was, uh, Was I on a cobblestone street, a pavement, grass, you know? So we would always go in on that. And 
we found that we kept going further back. And my girlfriend and I, who she's actually a person that helped me develop my uh, series oh, way, 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 way back, because the series that I wrote, Children of Stone, is kind of based on a whole lot of images that we received in the ancient world. Before anyone dismisses this and says, well, you know, this is, this is fantasy, this is, I don't know what it is. And I also don't know if it's true. I know we were sober at the time, so there was no hint of that kind of thing going on. But, you know, we started with a lot of Greek and Roman stuff, but it was based on a very thin knowledge of Greco-Roman myths. We also did a lot with the Celtic time period. Is this in terms of your lucid dreaming and remote viewing exploration, or is this in terms of plot in your story? Yes, to both. Okay. (laughs) Okay, because as I said, uh, I, I viewed myself after a while as kind of a chronicler rather than uh, a skilled writer. I still view myself that way because, and, and my uh, stories do have some, uh, when I first started publishing them, they had some pretty grievous structural and grammatical errors because as I said, I'm a storyteller, I'm not a writer. So I was just writing them down. Now back to the remote viewing thing, it seemed as if the longer we did this, the more directed these could be. We would say, let's go back to ancient Egypt and see what we see. So we would do that and we would write about it and uh, we would take turns. Now, um, my friend was not necessarily comfortable writing, so she would draw pictures. And I still have quite a few of the pictures that she drew. And uh, in a way, I've, I've actually uh, given a tribute to her and um, her art ability in one of the short stories that I've had published, we quickly realized, or I quickly realized, that this could very possibly not have been a past life because some of the things that we saw were just way too outlandish. I mean, because we were seeing aliens. We were seeing, <laughs> we were seeing things that were in a total fantasy realm, and we were seeing superheroes. And I'm going, okay, I know better. Because I was, at the time, uh, in graduate school in art history, And so I have a whole lot of literalist in me. I'm not somebody who just readily believes, I guess, pop culture, if you you know what I'm saying. Is this remote viewing done in between wakefulness and dreaming? Or do you realize that you're dreaming and kind of take control of it? If when we were in sessions, yes, we took control of it. But sometimes, and I would say, well, really after... We kind of all went our separate ways. You know, college was over and we had lives and all moved to separate cities. Some of us married, some didn't. That whole network of stuff we did fell apart. And I just kind of continued on my own. And what I've noticed is that sometimes as I get older, my abilities in that area have decreased. And I've got a lot of theories as to why that is. When I would lie down, it would be, I guess, between wakefulness and sleep. And it would be just as I was drifting off, I might start to see images forming. And uh, sometimes I would wake up and write them down. Sometimes they were so vivid, they woke me up. I particularly remember one where I remembered I was riding on horseback and I seemed to be royal uh, in some manner 
and I could smell the horse. I could hear the uh, bridle and everything. I, I don't ride horses. I have ridden one with friends, but I'm certainly no expert. But this person that I saw, which I identified as me, was riding towards some distant place, and I really felt it. And, you know, I could imagine how the creature was. Now, like I said, I began to disbelieve that these were past lives, and I began to think it was something else. What that something else is, I have no idea. There's a lot of possibilities. Could be psychic time travel. I think somebody asked a question about that. It could be astral projection through time, or it could, or it might be a past life and could be a concurrent life in another universe. All kinds of sci-fi and fantasy type uh, possibilities. I'm sure they've all been covered by any number of writers these days. Like just because you mentioned in the art history stuff, I mean that was what I did my graduate study in, and I don't oh. know if you read much in the way of Carl Jung and his stuff about archetypes and the deeper things that are within our mind. And um, he, he refers a lot to these kind of fantasy scenes that seem to occur across many cultures and appear in a lot of art. And it's all this kind of pastoral scene with, I don't know, kind of angels and weird kind of mythical beings and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering whether you think there's anything linked with that. Maybe there's just this archetypal part of your brain that is making those connections or, you know, whether it's something else. Well, it could be because, uh, like I said, uh, it could be some kind of reality that several people are picking up. It could be, as Jung said, archetypes. I know um, one of the great moments in my college life was I actually went to a lecture by Joseph Campbell, my friend uh, Annette and another girl named Mary, and we, our little crowd of researchers went to that and we learned about the hero's journey and about Jung and about the archetypes at that point. Um, So I think I understand what you're talking about. It very well could be how creative people construct archetypes just by, you know, symbolically having these stories go around an archetype. There's a thing as well with, um, I mean, it's, it's more to do with kind of hallucinogenics and, and psychotropic drugs and things, but there's a substance we've got in our bodies called DMT, which, oh, yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's linked to things like ayahuasca and it can be used as a hallucinogen if done in the right way. And I mean, I wonder if there's possibilities that we can, through some sort of meditative state, almost activate that without the use of, you know, an external psychedelic. I mean, maybe there's things on that. And with the research that's gone into the DMT stuff, we've seen, people who have similar experiences meet the same beings meet the same entities who are having these mm-hmm. groupies. so right i've heard about that i agree no. i think the hallucinogens are just a shortcut to something we could do with the right training right um i actually when i was doing research for my uh, book i read a whole lot about the mystery schools that the ancient egyptians had and they were actually studying a lot of that back then And they used a combination of meditation and some hallucinogenics, but they used these so to speak with the gods. Now, maybe that's those superheroes that I was was talking to. But uh, again, uh, as I've aged, I haven't really convinced myself 
Uh, I know that what I saw was real. I just haven't really decided what that was. You know what I'm saying? I heard a great analogy. It was by a guy called Graham Hancock, and he he talked about the idea of hallucinogens being a bit like a a telescope where we all see through a telescope, but it depends Mm -hmm. on how you you focus it, that what comes into view, what's blurry and things like that. And I thought that was a really cool analogy when he was talking about that because it it does remind me of of this kind of thing that you, you might be able to hook onto other dimensions around us that we, you know, we can be aware of or tune into or something like that. What I think is cool. Um, I recently read a book called real magic by Dean Radin and mm-hmm. he talks about uh, remote viewing as a way to tap into a broader consciousness that we all share. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> so I got really excited and I have a, a quite a big newsletter for science fantasy hub. So I did a contest because I also do uh the Letters About Real Conspiracies blog, where we cover conspiracy theories as a, a YouTube channel. And we did a remote viewing episode where I had people go through steps from Dean Radin's book on how to practice remote viewing and send in their pictures. And my brother and I did one together. And some of my early guesses of an object that he was hiding were remarkable. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a video on Science Fantasy Hub. So I, I, I kind of put myself in the category of unpracticed believer after that experiment. Yeah. See, I guess I've kind of gone the other direction. I've gone from absolute 100% believer to what the heck was that? (laughs) So our fellow knight, Rick Ty was very excited about this topic and sent in 10 questions for Mary. I wrote (laughs) them all down and checked them off and we still have four valid questions that you haven't covered yet. So I want to ask, it seems timely. Now, what's the most verifiable thing that you've encountered while lucid dreaming? And by that, I think he means, did you ever uh, see winning lottery numbers or predict some near future historical event? Actually, I did. It shocked me really badly. One of the things was that one of the early first stories I wrote was about uh, the HMS bounty. And this was back when I was 13. And I wrote that they were using the one that was used for the movie that had Marlon Brando in it, not the original bounty movie. And that some young people commandeered the boat and went sailing with it. And it went down in a storm. Okay. So now years later, I mean, I've got young kids in say middle school range uh, they're all off now and have their own families. But this is probably about, oh, 15, 20 years ago, maybe even a little longer. We had the Tall Ships group came to Cleveland and I took them on it. And I was telling them the story that I had dreamed up. And then several years later on the news, it said that HMS Bounty had sunk and that someone had died. It had gone down in a hurricane off North Carolina. And I was gone. I dreamed this when I was 13. Wow. You know, except it was a little different. It was the movie boat and it did sink. But I think in my story, most of the people died. I think in this one, I think only uh, one or two people did, but it was still pretty stunning. I'd say that's the most verifiable one I've had. 
There's a loved one in my life who has, I guess, kind of prophetic dreams where the things they dream end up being pretty significant, I guess, turning points in their life. Uh-huh. They're usually left with maybe an image or uh, a short scene that they live through. So it's uh, uh, it makes me really curious. That's all. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, it it is enough to make you curious. But, you know, another thing is that during that earlier time period, I did, uh, in addition to the remote dreaming, lucid dreaming, I did channeling and practice mediumship. As I said, I wanted to really open myself to all these not conservative things that I've been raised with. So I did a lot of experimentation. But, you know, the topic's not about that. I did get some images that way also. Is your work, the reader, having a lucid dream and experiencing that through your story? They could. The way my books are is they're just kind of written like a regular, I guess. uh, I mean, I had a lot of trouble with genre when I first started publishing this because I call it historical fantasy. But it does have elements of sci in it because there are extraterrestrials involved. So you got to have, you got to call it sci if you've got that. And then there's elements of paranormal. And plus, there's a whole lot of romance in it, too. Rick Ty also asked, have you ever read Norman Mailer's Ancient Evenings? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't read that either. I really haven't studied a lot of this. <laughs> it seems like you just had a natural aptitude for it and explored it. Mm-hmm. Uh, after his question, though, I do have some other things I'd like to add. Yeah, but oh. let's say Rick, Okay. Great. Okay. Here's Rick's last question. Um, And I think I know the answer because you said you hadn't given it much study. Now, where in the brain does lucid dreaming occur? And his sub question to that is, is it different from regular dreams? Okay. Yeah, I can't answer that one. All right. Um, I don't know because I haven't, there have been, there has been a lot written about lucid dreaming and remote viewing. It's just, I haven't really tried to read it too much. I think what I wanted to say is that, as I said before, uh, as time has gone on, I really am not able to do uh, this lucid dreaming or remote viewing well. And I have a theory because I've talked to some other writers who used to do this as kids. And I'm thinking I'm blaming that there's, there's a lot of media interference and it's very difficult for people nowadays to actually relax enough to get to that level. You know, we're bombarded with, oh, internet, this electrical thing, that electrical thing. And whereas, oh, 30, 40 years ago, there wasn't as much. So people could actually quiet the part of the brain that is needed to produce these dreams or to help you uh, go on these dreams. I think Uh, you're really onto something. Some of the deepest... uh meditative experiences that I've had have been after hours of just doing breathing exercises and you mm-hmm. know, being unplugged and unstimulated whatsoever. I've even done uh, several hours in flotation therapy tanks, which are... I envy uh, you. I want that. <laughs> I, I want yeah. one. <laughs> I, I don't have one. I have a friend two towns over that owns a center and uh, ah. my wife and I have spent pretty significant amount of time there for about a year and she still goes back with some of her friends um whereas i have uh-huh. a home practice prior to writing for breathing exercises uh-huh okay yeah i do think that calming oneself down is is very necessary i know when i was raising my kids 
Um, my life was in such an uproar, just uh, dealing with their energies. I couldn't write at all or dream much in those days. It was like, hey, I got to sleep last night. Isn't that great? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I have an 11-year-old and a 4-year-old. I think I really understand that last statement. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like forget the dream part. Let's just have let's just focus on the sleep thing. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's get them to bed so we can have an hour of peace. <laughs> uh, something like that. I just experienced that last week when three grandchildren arrived <laughs> for a short while. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, grandchildren. The next frontier. It's uh, seems like once you finally get things settled out and quiet, then a couple years goes by and you get relaxed and and then a whole new batch comes through have you ever um, had any lucid dream showing yeah actually i have they started out as regular dreams and the very earliest one was when i was a little kid Uh, my grandmother had this witch face with a motion sensor it was really early Mm -hmm. sensor technology it uh could sense when you were in the room approaching it and it would laugh a horrible witch cackle and squirt water on you from its mouth like it was spitting on you And this is when I was four or five. So, of course, I had this recurring nightmare of being chased by a witch. And Mm -hmm. it happened five or ten times. And finally, something within me snapped. And I turned around and fought the witch and beat it. And then I never had the dream again. Mm -hmm. And and that was kind of the first time where I realized I was dreaming and, and took control of it. And then four or five times in life after that, I've realized that I was having a dream and sort of taking control. And one was after it was maybe 2001 or 2002, right after the matrix came out. And I had a dream that I was in a social setting, uh, just hanging around with my other college friends. And I realized I was dreaming and I could point to people that were in the room with me and tell them they weren't real. And then they kind of dissolved in this swirl, like they were going down a sink drain, like I was banishing them from uh, their imaginary existence. Uh-huh. And most yeah. recently, it was uh, a bit of a like an action kind of dream, and I realized I was dreaming, and then I got superpowers, and I could fly and things like that. Well, you probably could fly. Um, <laughs> now, you know, most of the time I realize that I'm dreaming is me debating with myself that since I can fly, it must be a dream, but it feels so real that it must be reality. And it's that kind of dialogue back and forth that normally jars me. Mm-hmm. I have dreams where I take the piss out of the symbolism of my dreams. <laughs> I was like, this symbolism is a bit on the nose. You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of a bit too self-aware and um, (laughs) make fun of stuff. My first published novel was actually the the opening scene of that came from a dream. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of power in them in terms of maybe delving into that subconscious bit of your brain, that kind of creative bit of your brain. Well, like I said, the uh, story that I wrote kind of was a compiling of all the little adventures that we catalogued back in the day. So it ends up being kind of more of a spiritual hero's journey. Anybody wants to catch up with Mary, her links are in the show notes. It's to her Amazon page, her author page, website, Instagram, Goodreads, and Twitter. I have a a weekly blog where I will also put some of my uh, little uh, tidbits that I've studied in as well. Is that accessible through your author page? It's uh, through my actual, through my group page is the, usual first place I'll put those links and it comes out every Monday. I've got 
uh, you know, I'll put little excerpts of things in there. Uh, the one tomorrow that comes out is about iced tea, but I also introduce other topics like uh, what were the Egyptians doing instead of tea. And then I'll do, you know, I'll do art historical notes and I'll also have some excerpts from my stuff and announce other people's books. Everyone, don't forget, if you're not a member already, join the Sci-Fi Roundtable if you're an author or reading the Roundtable of Science Fiction and Fantasy. You can catch up on me at sciencefantasyhub.com. And uh, John, where's the best place to reach you? Yeah, johncronshaw.com. And also, please do leave a review for this show on iTunes. That would be awesome. Mary, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, and thank you for asking. Till next week, everybody. Thanks a lot. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to do another excerpt and a roundtable discussion coming up soon. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.